Hello and welcome. It's Monday and it's Motivational Monday by Jim and Lucy. Today we talk about a very important topic and probably one of the solution and how exactly to find the motivation to fight depression. As we know, many people have been having difficulties since COVID, post-COVID and before then because it is a pressing topic and it's not always the one that we're comfortable to talking about. So our today's guest knows a lot, knows a lot how to help you and welcome Brian Sacchetta. Hello, Brian. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Jim. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. This is an important subject and I'm really glad we have you here with us today to discuss this. Absolutely. Well, Brian, so let's start from the ground up fighting depression. I know there are many tools, books written about it and finding motivation. So what do you say the secret? Is there secret souls, secret tools, secret solution? So it's it's a good question to start with because so I I you know I won't do too much promotion here, but I do have a book written specifically on the topic of depression. And in that book I I specifically say it does not appear and you know by all means there is not a silver bullet or magic formula, magic key to overcoming or getting through depression. But there are tactics that we can kind of put together in different ways of looking at the world and building our lives such that we can move through depression a little bit easier, right? So another way of saying that is like, I don't have necessarily a vegetable or, you know, a pill or uh, some activity that you can do and be like, bam, my depression is gone forever, right? That's, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of just not how life works. But at the same time, there are still reliable things that we can do in our lives to get through depression. And one of the challenges, right, is like, I think people kind of sit on both ends of the spectrum where they want that magic pill, they don't find it. And then all of a sudden, they kind of tip to the other side and say, nothing is going to work, right? In reality, the solution lies somewhere in the middle where it's like, it can take time to overcome depression. It can take, you know, rebuilding, let's say your friend circle, finding a job that you enjoy, a lot of different things. But once you identify what those things are, those become the quote unquote magic bullet in the sense that all of a sudden those became become your way out of depression. Again, they can take a little bit of time to, to build and to go into those activities, right? To let's say, for example, you know, there's research out there that shows that Having being on a regimented exercise plan can be really effective in the treatment of depression. I would say one, you know, going for one run is probably not going to quote unquote cure your depression, but getting on that plan, right? That can get you there eventually. So my my overall philosophy with the book is shining light on those various things and then also giving readers sort of the motivation, the hope that they need to understand that what they're dealing with is compatible, right? It is something that can be overcome in time um, and then provide that motivation to be like, look, I know it's really daunting. I know it stinks that like w- there is no silver bullet. And yet, you know, we're tr- we sometimes it feels like it's just such a daunting and complex subject that it's like, oh, how do I even start, right? The reality is there is motivation there because you can get through it. It just takes a little bit of time and you got to really work some of these avenues. So that's the message that I provide to folks. And I, I say to them, if you stick with me and you, you know, you enlist some of these different tactics that I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure if, you know, I, it's hard to make promises, but I'm pretty sure we can get there. I, I like that. You know, there's a, a book when I was homeless many years ago, I can remember uh, going to the library, getting this book by Dr. David Burns, and he talked about cognitive thinking, kind of like you're talking about. You have to work at it. You can't just take a pill and think, okay, that's going to fix me. But he said that 
uh, depression and loneliness is worse than cancer. Because with cancer, you get a lot of people telling you, I'm so sorry, let me help you and so on. Depression and loneliness, no one can see it, so to speak. And so they think, oh, just dig out of it. Let's get a shovel and do this. And But I, I, I can appreciate what the direction you're coming from. And, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to compare conditions, right? I like to just say what you're dealing with is what you're dealing with. And there are, I, I, I'm going to say pros and cons, even though nobody would argue that there are pros to cancer, right? Um, one of maybe, like you, like you offered, is maybe one of the silver linings, if you will, is that you then get a lot of support and you, you know, people are reaching out to you and whatnot. That is a silver lining, we wouldn't ask for that, right? Because nobody wants to have to deal with cancer. But there are, again, I'm saying this very carefully, is there are pros and cons to everything that we deal with. And so, you know, funny enough, I start that book on depression by saying this is an invisible illness, right? It's a monster that affects so many people across the US and so many people across the world. And it's a leading cause of disability worldwide. And yet you look around and for the most part, it's an invisible monster. We don't see all the people that it affects. And that's really difficult in being able to address it. So I guess, you know, starting off on that foot with that book, I was kind of saying like, it's invisible and it's hard to see all the places it affects. But we know, right, if we are the ones who are experiencing depression, we know how it affects us. And so now I guess it's a little bit of our responsibility to, you know, I I, I wouldn't say like, as you were alluding to, I wouldn't say dig out of the hole, but but find ways of coping and finding methods that work for us in moving through our depression. And also, right, um, one thing that I talk about is sort of trying to be a little bit more authentic in the sense that, look, nobody wants to sit here and be and raise their hand and be like, I deal with depression, right? That's a really hard thing to do because you're making yourself full, so vulnerable and you're thinking about, oh, these people are going to judge me, I'm going to judge myself, so on and so forth. But, you know, it does take a level of authenticity to do anything in regards to a mental health issue that you're dealing with, right? Even if that means talk to your mother, talk to your father, talk to your brother, your sister, whoever it may be, reach out to a doctor, right? You have to admit it to yourself that you're struggling first and then admit it to somebody else. And then they can help you on the journey of getting towards healing. So we do need a little bit of that authenticity and to be able to bring that invisibility to light, uh, so to speak. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I like how you talk about the authenticity the self-care. Uh, recognizing we can, we have to do these things, but but I, I'm sorry, honey, just one by he brought some great points, but they just Washington Post, I believe, last week had an article about Sesame Street character Elmo, and people had written in letters to Elmo about depression and loneliness, and it got me, it, it piqued my interest because Lucy came from Ukraine where they don't have the advantages of Western culture. I mean, don't it's not backwards, they don't have the advantages that we do in the States or in Canada. So why is it that people in the States and Canada with everything are so depressed? Yes, so I do talk, talk about this in the book as well, right? Some of this kind of comes down to like the way that our brains evolved and the way that they were quote unquote built, right? How they sort of morphed over time. So if you think about the brain itself, it's a survival machine in the sense that like your brain's goal is to keep you alive. It is not necessarily to keep you happy, right? It's to be like, look, uh, if you go back hundreds of thousands of years to the to the time when like our ancestors were around, like Homo erectus and stuff like that, you say, okay, so you think about natural selection and evolution and whatnot, and you say, okay, 
we have these species, or let's even just say our ancestors, right? They were living in on the savannas and in the forest and whatnot. And it's like, okay, so what traits allowed those people, our ancestors, to stay alive the longest? And some of those traits that were most beneficial, right, was sort of the, the fight or flight response, the ability to think ahead, to think critically and to escape uh, predatory situations, right? So if, if you are standing in front of a tiger as, uh, let's say, a member of, of Homo erectus, like, a you know, if, if 300,000 years ago or whatever, right? The, it's kind of, you know, people will sometimes say, you just got to be faster than the next slowest person, right? So it's like, if the bear is coming after you, and you are able to run away faster, um, that is advantageous to your survival, right? You fast forward all the way to today, to today, and you say, okay, the brain really hasn't evolved much in like 100 to 300,000 years. And so we're still working with the same hardware that we had way back when. And so if you then think, okay, put ourselves into modern life and say, our brains are still looking at the world from this predatory mindset and saying, oh, I see a threat over there. I see a threat over here. And also our brains were sort of built um, around progress, right? So it's like, there is a notion of what is called the hedonic treadmill. So that's basically like, in a way, you have like a set point for maybe happiness or contentment. And the idea is that if you were kind of resting on your laurels, like let's, and this is theoretical, right? I mean, uh, who, like the science is pretty solid, but they are theories, right? And they, they could theoretically be uh, uh, debunked at some point. But if you're resting on your laurels and you're like, ah, my life's pretty good, everything's awesome, I'm just gonna sit around and do nothing. In theory, it's possible that the next thing you know, you are lunch meat for a bear or a tiger or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So the brain is always looking around and saying, where do I progress to next? What is the next threat? And so on and so forth. And so if we take it back to the question that you asked and, and really put some concreteness behind it, a, a good application of this would be, okay, so the person with a mansion and all these nice cars uh, and wonderful things, why are they not happy, right? And there, there are a million reasons why that could be the case, but one of the ones that, I, you know, the research that I do and the writing that I do would sort of lend itself to an answer of that person's brain is still trying to say, what is next? How do I find that next thing? And if they said to themselves, the mansion is going to make me happy, the car is going to make me happy, if those things don't actually make that person happy, all of a sudden they're like, I don't know where to turn to next. This feels like a bit of helplessness, a bit of hopelessness, aka the driving forces behind something like depression. Um, there are so many different, yeah, I know we have a short amount of time on this podcast. There's a lot of threads we could go down, right? But another one would be the, you talked about isolation, right? And it's like the notion that if we are like our brains, again, we were sort of, it was better for us to live in small tribes. Um, if we were out on our own in, in the wilderness, right? It was like, winter's coming, animals are coming, bam, we're lunch meat again. So it's like our brains are wired to want to have like to provide meaning when we are in small groups and we have intimate connections with other people. And we look at today's society and we say, wow, loneliness is so prevalent and depression is so prevalent. And, you know, correlation doesn't always equal causation. But if a lot of people are lonely and the brain is wired to want to seek connections, it would make sense that in a modern society that fosters that disconnection that you would see a lot of depression. That's very good. <laughs> Nothing to say. <laughs> well, Brian, I have one more question for you. What will you tell? It, it, it can be difficult for those who go like down the rabbit hole when it all starts piling up. It can be hard, hard to get that switch, uh, the point where you start working on it or start working out of it. 
what will be your message? Is there some sort of model we need to put on a wall? Something to keep in our minds, some phrase, catchphrase, something to make us snap out of that condition. You know, it's it's hard, right? I, 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 there, there is still no silver bullet, right? But there are some things that we can do that are helpful. The, the line, and again, I, I apologize for the promotion, but you know, my brand is called Get Out of Your Head. And the reason why I named it that is because our minds are not really our friends, or at the very least, they can very easily become our enemies, right? And so if we are sitting on the couch, if we're sitting at our desk, if we are by ourselves and we are stewing over all these scary ideas, we're probably not going to get to somewhere good, right? If we're trying to outthink, so to speak, our depression or our anxiety, it's not going to be long before we feel even more depressed and even more anxious. So the idea of saying, get out of your head is this reminder to be like, look, put these ideas down, go for, and, and you know, to the degree that you can, right? I say this sort of uh, off the cuff, go for a run, do a bunch of jumping jacks, get out of your head, go back into your body, do something totally different from what it is you are doing mentally at this moment. That might allow you to put some space between yourself and the problem and then see that that predicament that you're in in a new fashion uh, that allows you to then avoid going down that rabbit hole even further in the near future. Absolutely. This yes. is great advice. It is very, very good advice. And I wish I could send that over to, <clears throat> pardon me, Brian. Uh, what happened to listen to CNN the other day where the uh, founder of uh, Airbnb said that he was giving advice about being lonely the day he hit over several billion dollars. So I'm wondering, how could that make you lonely? He immediately felt lonely. But you think the answer is to for self-care is for us to step out of ourselves, like maybe go out and help other people. I mean, there are kids in hospitals that need reading books read to them or something that we can do that makes us better in turn. Yeah, you know, it's funny. If you look at some of the studies around altruism, obviously being altruistic, right? You are focusing on somebody else and you are helping them. But, you know, you look at sort of the pharmacology or or the the neurotransmitter activity of a brain that is wired towards being altruistic, right? And And Another way of saying that with with less jargon is basically, it feels good to you to help other people, right? So in a way, when you are helping other people, you are also helping yourself. And so the answer to your question, Jim, I think is yes. I think uh, orienting ourselves in that fashion can be quite positive. Yes. Well, I hope people get in contact with you because this has been extremely enlightening. Awesome. And I, I, I do want to say that Elmo thing last week was that was really enlightening and eye-opening as well. And it just kind of shows, you know, the the fact that even though we have a lot of wealth and a lot of great things in this country, people are still struggling. And that is one of the main reasons that I do the work that I do, that I wrote, you know, that book on depression is is understanding that it it is a bit of a complex topic and it can be really tricky uh, to get a hold of, but you still can. And that's the motivation piece is me coming in and saying, I know everything looks dark. I know everything looks terrible. But like, if you if you listen to me and you trust me, I promise there is a way out of this stuff. Well, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I can assure you, my wife is very rarely seeing me with a depressed day. Uh, I have lived in my car, been married more than once. Uh, and I have prostate cancer. I've had major depression. But one thing about it every day is that I talk myself out of it every single day. And I'm glad there are people like you that give us power to be empowered. And and I'm my heart goes out to you, Jim. And I I respect your joyous attitude and ability to take on hardship, you know, and not let it get you down. 
uh, it shows that you're a really strong person and a really courageous person and, uh, you know, keep fighting on. And I'm, I'm happy to, you know, help bring this message in any way that I can. I hope that it helps you. I hope that, that it helps the audience. We appreciate it. I'm pretty sure it's very helpful to our listeners. Uh, so our dear listeners, this is Brian Sacheta. Thank you very much for sharing, Brian, and for the work you do. And I'm sure that many people will, will go look you up and find the book and contact you. And today's, just a reminder, our dear listeners, today's and this month's sponsor is Type Dreams, a beautiful art collection for your marketing and personal inspirational needs. Visit typedreams.site. Brian, thank you very much for joining us. It was a real pleasure having you as a guest today. My pleasure as well. Thanks so much. This is Motivational Monday by, by Jim, Jim and Lucy. Lucy. Follow our podcast. And check out our website, jimandlucywoods.com.